if you're wholesaling, we all know that like it's you're you're dealing with people that are going through some type of turmoil. There's some type of problem that they need solved, and that's what it all comes down to. Is like, can you actually sell their? Can you actually solve their problem, or are you just trying to get a property under contract to make some money off of it? It's not about the money for us. It's about you know changing lives and helping people. And we actually we're changing. We're in the process of like changing our scorecards right now to you know when you go through of like, hey, how many calls did you make? How many you know how many offers did you make? How many properties did you get under contract? We're actually going through and changing so, that. So it's not properties under contract, it's people saw or people helped. What's happening, good people? Welcome to another episode of First Generation Wealth Builders. Today, I got my guy, Brian Snyder, in the building. Welcome, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. This is exciting. So you just did my podcast last week. Okay. Great episode. So I'm excited to be here with you today, man. Gotcha. I hope I was able to provide you people with some value. 100%. So okay. good stuff. I got some stuff out of it, so I, I'm sure they did as well. Gotcha, gotcha, man. Let's go straight to it. Who is Brian Snyder, for those who don't know? Yeah, man, I am. Uh, I'm a person that I just I love to help other people. That's my number one. That's my mission. That's my purpose is just helping other people. And really, this stage of my life, I just want to help everybody just kind of level up. So no matter when I meet them, whatever level they're at, I just want to do my best to feed into them in any way, help them in any way, just give them any insights or whether it's, you know, psychological or, or personal or actually physically helping them in some way. Like I just want to help level them up. And just help them do better. Um, but so I operate a, a business here in Indianapolis, real estate investing business um, called Simple Wholesaling. Uh, basically, what we do is we buy and sell about 300 houses a year um, all around uh, Indianapolis, about 40 minutes within the loop. Um, been doing that for about the last five years. So we've come in right about 300, and that's that's where we are. Ooh, but uh, so we do that. Aggressive. About, yeah. So we've been doing that every year. Um, and then really right now, it's just all about like kind of growing our team a little bit and getting basically just more efficient on what we're doing. So we're going to do 300 houses. We know that, but can we do, can we get better deals? Can we, you know, basically make a, a better situation for our sellers, for our buyers, for our lenders, for the title companies and all that stuff. So yeah. And then I've also started doing some coaching and consulting with a uh, sharper business solutions. Um, it's a group out of a uh, Northeast or uh, Northwest Indiana. Um, they help real estate investors and just business owners all around the nation. So I've started doing that over the last uh, few months and that's been incredible. Can you so, give me a little bit of the details on that? Yeah. So basically what we do is, you know, for example, like your, um, your business, we would just come in and we do like a three day session of where we'll come out and work with you for one day, just kind of dig into your business, start to understand your business, who your people are, what you want to do. Um, and then basically over the next 60 to 90 days, we take all your processes and document your processes to make sure they're up to par. You know what you're doing. You know what you're talking about. Um, everybody on your team like is on the same page. And then we'll come out for another two days that we do right in a row and really dig into you as a business, talking about your core values, your mission, um, and just uh, basically your, you know, your five-year plan, your two-year plan, one-year plan, 90-day plan. Um, really just kind of dig that down and then kind of that last day of that two day then we really dig into your processes as well to make sure you're like hey eric are you like this is what you say you're doing is like everybody in your team doing this do they know do they know how it's what's going on or why are you doing it this way like why don't you think have you ever thought about doing it this way and, and stuff like that so gotcha. really just digging into your business and then really from there then too we offer you know different things where we can come out once a quarter and help you set up your 90-day plan and your um, just kind of dig into your business, whether it's you, maybe you need help with marketing, maybe you need help with, you know, um, your sales team, maybe you need help with um, personnel, your talent. Um, so we can kind of come out and do it like 
specifically gear into what you want to do as a business as well. Got you. So when you're talking about that, are you specifically talking about wholesaling? Um, are you talking about rehab? This is any kind of business that you want. We have, we have real estate people. We have um, truck drivers, construction crews, um, tax advisors, um, just whatever kind of business that you're in or want to grow. Your, your hair business, like we can dig into that. Because so, really what we're doing is we're putting a system in place that's really just you know, for entrepreneurs, it's really just an, an operating system for businesses. It's called Empire. Um, and basically what it is, is they just, it's just, every business can be set up with that. So gotcha. um, I, I, I work, I generally work with like the real estate people because I have the real estate background. So that's what I dig into a little bit. But honestly, I can go into that trucking business and I can put the same systems in place. It's just making sure everybody's on the same page and everybody's aligned and everybody knows what they're what they're working towards and and where what the goals they want to get to. Got you, got you. Yeah. So let's reel it back into some real estate, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, if you were to go into somebody's wholesale business, yeah. you know what I mean. What are some fundamental foundations that you start with? Yeah. So going into the wholesale business is number one. We always look at hey, who are the people that are working on the team? Like, is everybody? You as the owner, are you, you know, are you good with everybody um, on the team? Are they in line with your core values, with your mission? Are they all kind of on purpose the same way that you want to be? Are they basically taking your vision and incorporating in whatever they're doing? Um, then, of course, you want to look into the marketing. Everybody knows that a wholesaling business is essentially a marketing business. That's mm -hmm. um, what you really need to be doing. So then it's digging into, okay, are we, what are you doing? Are you doing outbound marketing? Are you doing inbound marketing? How are, how are they doing? What are your... How much does it cost you to get a contract? How much does it cost you to get a lead? Like all those things, um, digging into that. And then the third step is really just the processes. Is everybody being basically becoming as, as much efficient as you can um, through all those things? So if you got the right people, you got the right marketing in place, and then you have the right processes to basically make sure everything is running as efficiently as possible, you should be good to go. From there. Got you. So I've heard you mention this a couple of times. Yeah. You know, what's your mission? Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of individuals starting businesses um, start businesses because of the financial opportunity. Yeah. Um, how do you go into a business and um, kind of like coach them in building a mission statement and or a vision statement? Yeah. I mean, that's one thing that's kind of tough is, you know, a lot of you've, you've worked with a lot of entrepreneurs and stuff like that. And all of a sudden you you get into it because you saw a YouTube video and like, oh, wholesaling is a good way to make money and it looks easy <laughs> and all those things. All of a sudden you start doing it and you, you do it well. And then all of a sudden you have, you know, two people on your team and three people on your, and all of a sudden you have a team of like five people, six people, and you're just, you're just running around like a chicken with your head cut off because you were just that one man show getting into it. Mm. Um, but realistically what it comes back to is, you know, coming back to that whole mission and being, 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 you know, having the same purpose and everything like that is I, I truly think that anybody, any business owner, they need to have a mission behind what they're doing. It might always start out being about the money and kind of a good way to, you know, make some money or get out of your nine to five job or whatever it is, but you're, you're going to have to have something that you're working towards that is bigger. Mm. Um, so whether that is, you know, helping orphanages over in Africa or whatever it may be, maybe it's just like, Hey, I just want to make sure that I have enough passive income for my family because I never right. had that, you know, growing up or I never knew anything about like financial responsibility or there needs to be some kind of a purpose that you're that you're fighting or that you're working towards. And then whatever that is, is your person. You have to make sure that your kind of team understands that and kind of 
you know, relays that out and stuff like that. I was working with a team the other day, um, or just a couple of weeks ago. Um, and basically the owner of that business was sitting there and we're in the meeting and he has his team in there and he kind of talked about his, his vision and his, his purpose. He's like, well, you know, I want to make sure that over the next 10 years, I want to donate a million dollars to this charity. You know, he'd already had it picked out here, but his team had no idea. And right mm-hmm. there in that meeting, they're all like, Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, we like that. Like they were right on board. They, just, they never knew what he was working towards. And all of a sudden they just all had buy-in too. They understood what he was talking about, what he was working towards. And that's they were they got excited about it. And all of a sudden that team, they're, they're doing awesome now. Just over the last couple of weeks, they're cohesive. They're working together and because they, they know that they're on, on mission and on, on purpose together. Um, but coming back to that of just like, hey, how do you... I've, I've always been, I've kind of been bad in that area of like knowing what my purpose is mm. and knowing what my mission is in, in general. I've always been that person, whether it was growing up or even, you know, through my business and stuff like that, I've always been an, an amazing number two. Like if that owner of your of the company or whatever, um, for example, our simple wholesaling is a perfect example. So Brett Snodgrass is the owner of the company. I came on a team with him four years ago. I was really good at taking his mission and accomplishing it. Like his, his goal was to, basically have a self-sustaining business within 10 years. That was his goal. Well, we did it in like three mm. and I took his nice. vision. I took his purpose and I was, I was able to accomplish that. So I always, but coming up with my own is always tough and working up with these business owners is, is, is kind of that same thing of just figuring out what do they really want to do? Um, and, and how do you get there? And really what it comes down to is just sitting down and having some of those top conversations, like what motivates you? What, what gives you energy? What, you know, what, what can you focus on? What do you get excited about? Those types of things and having those questions. And like, for example, with me, like my purpose, I don't have that big purpose. I, I work with some teams that are like, yeah, I want to give a million dollars to this charity or I want to do this or I want to do that. And mine's been kind of broad, but I've realized it really is just about helping people. So, so every what person, is your mission? It really is just like whoever I come across, I just want to do whatever I can to help level them up. Got you. That's hey. what it is. And it's, it's not quantitative, um, but I know okay. I'll get there. But yeah. Jackson, we got a seat for him out there. You know what I mean? <laughs> we could use him right now. We got a seat so, for you out there. So what triggered your interest in real estate? Um, honestly, it was a job for me. So that's how it started off. Um, and I will, I will hundred percent say like, I'm not really that excited about real estate. It's a great vehicle for what I want to do and to accomplish my goals. But so I was a teacher for 14 years. Um, I taught middle school math, absolutely loved it. Like it was great. Like I, but I, and I was good at it. Like really enjoyed it. Um, I was taking my uh, classes, my master's classes to become a principal realized real quick that like being a principal is not at all what I want to do. <laughs> um, not my personality fit at all. I realized that if you're a principal, half of the decisions you make or like of all your decisions you make, half the people are going to like them. Half the people are not. Right. That's not my personality. I, I, I need people to like you me. I need people you don't want all the haters. Yeah, I like, yeah. So, um, so it wasn't my thing. It just wasn't my thing. I realized that, but I wanted to do something different. I was, you know, I was teaching for 14 years. I kind of met all my goals um, being a teacher I just wanted to do something different. I knew Brett, um, Brett Snodgrass through church. Um, his wife, uh, or my wife and his wife were friends. They did small groups together through church and all that. Um, and when I moved out here to Indianapolis seven years ago, um, Brett was one of the first people I met. And he and I would, we'd go out for a drink and watch a, watch a game or something like that. We're both former basketball players. Um, we oh, you kinda, got a little game? Yeah, I got, I got some game. I'm, okay. I'm a short guy, but I got some games. Okay, so, I know yeah, that. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, yeah, I was all, I was all district in high school and, and stuff like that. So, okay. But um, 
Um, probably, maybe could have played at like Division three in college and stuff like that. But I got. Do you still follow the game? I do. Yeah. Gotcha. So, Drew Holiday has put the clamps down. Love it on on CP three. I love I love to watch those those guys are just hustlers and just like he, he's like, a quiet, yeah. humble beast. Yeah, I was that guy. Like I was the guy that on um, the the other team's fans hated. And you hear like, that shit, bro? It's <laughs> shameless plug. I like it though. I like it though. Like it's it's cool. So, yeah. Um. Yeah, so then I yeah, so I knew Brett like just through through church and just by connecting with him through b- about basketball and stuff like that. And we went out to breakfast one morning. I was just kind of explaining to him like, yeah, I'm ready to you know I think I'm going to teach for one more year and I'm going to be done. Like my classroom was all set up, like it was ready to go for the school year. I was like, I'm got one more year and then I'm done. I just got to figure out what I want to do next. And he was like, well, I, you know, I think I'm going to come out with a course to teach people how to wholesale. I was, he's like, would you want to do that? Would you want to be involved in that? I was like. That that interests me. Have you ever like, wholesaled a course? No, no idea. No, I had no idea what wholesaling was. Okay, it was kind of funny. The uh, our whole our group of friends. There's about you know four or five couples that we had hang out together and stuff like that. And the kind of the joke was that nobody knew what Brett did. Okay, we, everybody knew that he was in real estate in some way. We thought he like you know flipped houses and he was like in a, like the HGTV people and stuff like that. <laughs> but nobody really knew what he did. Um, so, but I was just kind of like, oh, I think I could do that. And I was like, you know, can I do it part time? I think I'm going to teach for one more year and be part time and. Because he explained to me what I needed to do. I was like, I'm pretty sure I can do that, you know, and I, I might, you know, half time and things. But he was like, no, I want somebody to be on the on the team full time and stuff. So I actually just quit my uh, teaching job right then and there. And How long ago so, was that? That was four years ago. Four years ago in August. So Got you. So, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So, no idea how to wholesale a house. No idea about you know, real estate in general or anything like that. So, let's do some um, numbers real quick. Yeah. So, about how many deals do you estimate that you've done in that three and a half year period? So or within, close to four years. Yeah, within that that four years. So we've basically average wise, we've bought three hundred houses and sold three hundred houses right around that every year. So it's about yeah, about six hundred transactions um every year for the last four years. So probably over two thousand trans real estate transactions. Nice. Now, like I have to ask a lot of people think that the wholesale market is oversaturated. Yeah. What are you doing differently to be able to acquire that aggressively? Yeah, I think uh, it definitely is. Um, there's a, I mean, there's a lot of wholesalers in the market, and it's not just. And you know, we're in Indianapolis, and we see that and everything like that. But it's it's every market. Every market is hot right now across the nation. And um, really, what it comes down to is is being the being that trusted advisor for the sellers and for the buyers and for the lenders and everything like that. I think it's. Really, what it comes into is that one of the things when we tell somebody that we're going to buy their house, we actually are going to buy their house. Um, so we, even though we are a wholesaling company, we actually operate more as a wholesaling company, where we are buying the house, then we're going to clean it out, and we're going to, you know, we can put it on the market or we can sell it to our buyers that way. Um, but I think where wholesalers, it is, a, it is a saturated market. There's a lot of wholesalers out there. But I think one of the reasons that we continue to do well and can can buy properties from sellers and get properties under contract is because we're just being honest with what we're doing. Um, we're not going to, we're not giving the lines of, Oh, well, I'm going to get this under contract. And then, my, but my partner's really going to be the one that buys it and all that stuff. We're literally saying, no, we can buy your house whenever you want us to. Like, if you want it, do you want it to be tomorrow? Do you want it to be next week? Do you want it to be a month from now? And then we can rent it back to you for the next three months. Like what's your situation? Do you need to go anywhere? Um, do you have a place to go? You know, what's the next step? Um, and really, 
our goal is to really work with our sellers to be that trusted advisor for whatever that next step is in their life. Gotcha. Um, if you're wholesaling, we all know that like it's you're you're dealing with people that are going through some type of turmoil. There's some type of problem that they need solved, and that's what it all comes down to. Is like, can you actually sell their? Can you actually solve their problem, or are you just trying to get a property under contract to make some money off of it? It's not about the money for us. It's about you know changing lives and helping people. And we actually we're changing. We're in the process of like changing our scorecards right now to. You know, when you go through of like, hey, how many calls did you make? How many, you know, how many offers did you make? How many properties did you get under contract? We're actually going through and changing so, that. So it's not properties under contract. It's people saw or people helped. I don't, I, I want you to repeat that again. Can you, so basically you were given to me, you were just now explaining to me your KPIs, your yeah. key performance indicators. Yeah. What are those? So key performance indicators, you know, really when it gets into, if it's on the, like on the acquisition side, really we're looking at like, how many calls did you make? How many offers did you make? How many walkthroughs did you make? And then basically how many properties did you get in a contract? So, so what percentages are you looking at on those KPIs? What, what do you like to hit on those KPIs? So for our typical acquisitions person, what we like to do is we would like each person to make about 250 calls a week. So that's about 50 calls a day is really where we want them to be. Um, we want them to make eight offers a day. Um, we want them to you know probably go on when it comes to a week, uh, we want them to go on about 10 to 15 walkthroughs a week is really kind of that max um, thing. I think that's where, like, kind of where that comfort zone of where an acquisitions person can be. Um, and then when it comes to contracts, if they get you know, one or two, we're good to go. So I got one guy, I got, we got four acquisitions people right now. I expect three of them to get like that one and a half contracts per week. And then I got one guy that he's been doing it for a while and I expect him to get about two or three. Um, so that's where we come in with those numbers. We want to get about four or five contracts a week, and then we're at 20 properties. And you know, Gotcha. So uh, for somebody starting that would want to build a system similar to yours, yeah. how would, how do you commission those acquisition officers? Like how do I get them on board and just ready to go? Or? Yeah, because you know, a lot of people put people on full commission. And, you oh, know, yeah. so how do you compensate them as far as like, do you give them an hourly base pay plus yeah. commission? How do you do that? Yeah. So when we bring, when we bring a person on, they, all of our acquisitions people are, you know, they're straight commission. Um, but those first three months, they don't have anything in the pipeline. Right. So we actually do a, um, we just, we give them money or we give them a base pay for the first three months that they're with us. Um, essentially our training program takes about 90 days. I think it takes 90 days for, um, for that acquisitions person to be, or that buying specialist or solution specialist, whatever you want to call it, for that person to be up and running and be self-sufficient, I think it takes 90 days. Um, and I think, you know, talking to the other people around the nation, that's about right. Mm -hmm. So um, they might be able to operate, might be able to kind of do their thing after 30 days, and but they still need help. They still, there's gonna be a process or system they need help with, um, but they also need properties in the pipeline. Um, but so for that first, Three months for that first ninety days, we're giving them a base pay. Um, you know, it's going to be usually somewhere in between like three thousand, four thousand dollars here in Indianapolis. That's what makes sense. Um, but then, really, it's it's after that they have now they have properties in the pipeline, and they're going to get paid commission after that, and uh, that's that's how we operate it. So, um, gotcha. and then after that first, yeah, after that ninety days, they're they're on commission. That's that's what they're that's what they're working at, and that's what they're working towards. I I love that because that's what they're that's. They need to be they need to be motivated and stuff mm -hmm. like that too. Um, it's always funny too. One of my mentors, he always says, 
He's like he like he's like he loves his salespeople to be over leveraged a little bit too. So when they're like, mm. "Hey, should I buy this? You know, BMW or this new car?" He's like, "Yep, go ahead." Uh, <laughs> or, you're thinking about buying a house? Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Because you like got to go come kill some more shit exactly. to maintain that. Exactly. He wants them, you know, in that hunter mentality as much as they can. That's and, uh, hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I wasn't ready for you to say that. Yeah. So my guy, my my guy Ronnie, he's our you know he's our lead buyer and he's been doing it for almost four years now too and stuff like that and he has a great job works with a lot of other wholesalers and and things like that but he uh that's what he was just like well i, th- I think I, he's he just bought a house last year and he's looking to like do some stuff in his backyard like get some new concrete poured and get a playground and get some sod and i'm like yep go ahead buddy that sounds that sounds great <laughs> live it up baby take that trip <laughs> yeah all right so now a lot of people fear this um and you know as entrepreneurs and we're building our baby, right? Yeah. Um, a lot of us um, tend not to always share all the information with our proteges, our employees, because we fear that we'll empower them and they will yeah. go somewhere else and or apply it for themselves. Yeah. Um, how do you um, retain those acquisition specialists, that, especially those that are very good? Yeah. I think that's always... That's always a tough thing in this industry is that the people that are really good at acquisitions are also the people that can look at something and be like, oh, I can go do this on my own. Um, but this all comes back to of having the right culture and having the right purpose and everything like that. If everybody is, um, you know, I'll be honest with you too. When, I, when I'm looking for a person for the acquisitions role, I'm not necessarily looking for that best sales guy. I want somebody that can relate to other people. I want somebody that's that friendly person that wants to work with somebody, that collaborator um, type person that's not necessarily just completely sales driven. Um, number You're one, because somebody I know like that, yourself. What's that? You're looking for somebody like yourself. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't consider myself a salesperson, I'm real, but I'm really good at sales because I just, I'm, I'll sit down and have a conversation and figure out what really, needs to happen or what the person really wants. Um, now I'm not a great driver. I'm not that person that's going to be like, you know, call every, you know, every other day and be like, Hey, how's it going? Or you think about something like, that's not me, but I don't really want my team to be that way anyway. So it's really just calling and checking up and be like, Hey, how'd you, I know I talked to you last week. You were talking about going to your son's soccer game. Like how'd that go? And, mm. and then I'll get into a little bit of, you know, some of the sales stuff. Um, but what it comes down to really is you know, keeping those people on team and, <clears throat> keeping them on, you know, wanting them to still have that buy-in from them each and every day. It's just about, it's figuring out what their goals are too and helping them get to those goals. I mean, I have guys on my team right now that they they don't need to work for me. They probably could go out and do it on their own, but they know that they have opportunity with us. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have just opportunity to get commission and make some good money, but it's also they have opportunity to buy houses of their own. Like we've set up programs where they are able to, you know, we can sell or finance them a house or, um, you know, so real quick, yeah. for somebody uh, listening, what is seller financing? Yeah, so seller financing is basically since since we are doing the wholesale model, we're buying all of our houses, so we own all the houses that we're putting out there. Um, we have that option where we can basically sell that to you know, if I wanted to sell or finance a house to you, that I'm just looking for a certain percentage of of money down, and maybe it's like twenty percent down on the property, and then you know we figure out how long you want to pay on it, and we'll give you an interest rate, and and basically just put it out there for that. So it makes it a lot easier. You're not coming out of your pocket with you know, 100% cash to be able to buy a house with us or anything or um, have to worry about financing and appraisals and stuff like that through a bank with conventional financing. Like, we'll just sell, you know, we'll sell our finances to you, 
you know, talking about the terms and our terms are a little bit more favorable for our employees than they are for our, some of our buyers. You know, they're a little bit better. Um, you know, no, we're not looking for as much down or anything like that. So it's setting them up to be successful, um, but also, you know, just allowing them to gain the portfolio too. Like I, we're, long, they're involved. How long is the term? Um, it all depends. Um, so it all kind of depends on what you're putting down, um, how much you want your monthly payments to be, what your interest rate is. So we kind of work it backwards where, you know, if you go into a bank or something like that, they'll say, hey, do you want a 15 year term or 20 or 30 or whatever? Or you're like, hey, how much can you put down? Um, okay, with that much you're putting down, this is about what your interest rate would be. And then we basically say, how much do you want your monthly payments to be? And then from there, we just work it backwards and be like, oh, okay, it ends up being 12 years or eight years or whatever it may be. So so if I understand yeah. you correctly, basically you've created an opportunity for your um, acquisition officers to actually obtain real estate as well mm-hmm. through your company without it even being on their credit. Correct. Mm. Yeah. And they also have the opportunity to go ahead and, you know, refinance it later with a bank. And they they probably will have more favorable terms when it comes to interest rate if they refinance it a little bit later, later or go ahead and, you know, burn it out too and, and that type of thing. But it's just setting them up right now for what they want and what they, you know, what they want to be able to do down the road. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's a great incentive right there. Yeah. I like that. I like that. You're giving me some juice today, bro. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, you know, I, I do want to say that too, but it, it, you know, you mentioned something about, you know, how do you, you know, there's some people that want to hang on to all their, their secrets and hang on. Like, I don't, I don't feel the need to do that. We as a team don't feel the need to do that. Um, you know, we'll share whatever we want with the everybody on our team. <clears throat> we want them to know how things operate and how things work. So we'll, we'll go ahead and share that with them. But we also do with other wholesalers as well. Like I feel like there's plenty of, you know, properties here in Indianapolis or probably plenty of properties across the nation that we just want to help people out. I know we've been more than blessed with what we've been able to do in this industry. So we want to give back as much as we can and help people out and help them understand whatever they can do. So we it's not in our interest to hold stuff back. Um, when we actually started sharing with other people and helping other wholesalers out, we essentially doubled our business because now we had a lot of people that were bringing us properties or, you know, wholesalers, especially when they're starting off, they don't have a big buyer's list. There's going to be every, you know, how every situation is different and they're going to come across a tenant situation they can't handle or um, a property they can't sell or they lose a buyer at the last minute. Like, what do you do then? Like, those are the people that we want to work with. And those are the wholesalers we love, like, helping out a little bit, number one, because we can get a property out of it, but also we can teach, we can help, and that's what we want to do. Got you. So you did say state a good point. A lot of new investors don't have a big buyer's list. You came in and got to it quick. Um, obviously, Brett probably has some relationships. Yeah. But what have you done to expand your um, your buyer's list? Yeah, so um, and networking as much as possible. So I love you know going to different events, whether it's you know Cyria or Enria or you know any of the Rias around here in town. But then also um, networking online, um, being able to get in the Facebook groups and, and talk to people. Um, you know, uh, one of the things we also did is we started a podcast. The podcast you were on last week, the Indie Investor Pod. Um, it's indie specific. You know, it's Indi- Indianapolis real estate specific. So it's all about just helping edu- educate people on Indianapolis real estate. Um, we don't, we don't have a really a goal of it of like, we're not trying to make money off of it or anything like that. I think we have some opportunities here later on where people are actually asking us to like advertise on there and things, which is, which is pretty cool. But, um, we've ended up just having a big base of people that listen to that. And through that, we've built our buyers list as well. Mm. Um, which is awesome. That was a great side effect. That was never the purpose of it. Um, our purpose was really just to be able to help educate people. Like we got kind of tired of, 
seeing things on Facebook of like, oh, I got this deal from this wholesaler and they promised me this. And like, don't, don't listen to wholesale. Don't even listen. Don't even listen to me. Like do your own due diligence, like run your own comps, um, use us as a resource, but you know, or, and just things like that, but even helping educate people on, you know, different neighborhoods of what can happen here and what can happen there. Gotcha. Um, but through that, we've, we've done a, we've done a great job of building our buyers list and we've been doing it for a while too. Um, we really are at an advantage of where people kind of know our name a little bit. Um, where honestly we have about 20 to 30 buyers sign up for our buyers list just organically throughout the week, whether they listen to us on the podcast, whether they see us on Facebook or anything like that. Um, Honestly for us, it's more about whittling our buyers list down. Mm. Like where people always want to have this huge buyers list and be able to do that. Like we're really like, Hey, how can we eliminate people from our buyers list? Cause we want to just work with the people that are buying properties in the moment right then and there um, that are, that are trusted buyers is really what we're looking at and stuff. So, yeah. Got you. Got you. So, Tell me about your personal relationship with real estate, though. Yeah, my personal real estate or uh, personal relationship with real estate is honestly so it's you know buying and selling as many houses as we can like through the business, but then on the on the opposite side is starting off like right away is like oh man I want to have rentals and and got into and wanted to get into that and I got really excited about that and realized like I don't like property management at all. I don't even like property like working with a property manager just because. It's not, it comes back to that people liking me. Like if you have, like, I just feel like people always have like a struggle against their property managers and they're, they're being a tenant. There's always some friction there and it's just, that's not for me and stuff. Um, so one of the things that really attracted to me is basically doing some, the seller financing stuff. So there's a lot of people. So my, my wife is originally from Portugal. Um, her family moved to Indianapolis or they moved to Massachusetts first. They moved to Indianapolis. But one of the things that really stood out to me one day is we were just having a conversation and my wife is now in the business. She's my director of operations. Um, but before before that, she was just kind of understanding what we were doing and, and how we were doing it and stuff. And uh, But she was sharing with me just a story of like when they moved to the United States of just how they couldn't, they couldn't get a traditional mortgage mm-hmm. um, just because of, you know, they came over and they had their green cards and everything like that. And she became a citizen and, and all that stuff. But um, her dad working, it was just like one of those things of like the way he was, you know, the way he was getting paid or the way that it was, it was mm-hmm. kind of operating and mm-hmm. the language barrier and all that stuff. They had trouble getting a traditional mortgage. So they just rent it all the time. And she really just said, man, what you guys are doing for a lot of these, you know, um, some of our uh, people that are seller financing off of us are the Latino market or, you know, people that maybe don't have, or just entrepreneurs in general too, that don't have that W2 job or anything. So there's a lot of people out there that don't have, they can't get a traditional mortgage but being able to give them the opportunity to still buy a house and be able to fix up that house and stuff like that, that really resonated with me and got me really excited and stuff like that. So the seller financing thing is one of the things I love. Um, but through that as well, I learned about just being this, like just basically being a note investor or just a, you know, basically just a, a private money investor. And What's a note investor? Be, so a note investor is basically where you're, you know, where you can basically own, you not really own the property, you just own the basically the seller financing note on it or the note and mortgage on it. So basically you just own the, you just own the paper that the person is paying on um, for that, for that property and stuff like that. Um, gotcha. Or just being a private money investor where let's say, Eric, you want to, you know, you want to buy a house and you need this much money and basically like, Hey, I'll, I'll lend it to you. Here's my terms. Here's that thing like that. And that way I can just be as passive as possible. Um, that's one of the things that really resonates with me. Um, and I, I really enjoy, I like to be as, as passive as I, as I can. How much, uh, um, stuff, what so. percent do you look for on, on your ROI? Um, realistically, if I can get, you know, if I can get 10 to 15%, um, I'm, I'm pretty good with that. Um, that's, I feel like that's a pretty good return. That's better than I'm going to get in the stock market or anything like that, but it's still where I can still 
everybody that I'm lending to is they can be successful with that as well. So it's not too outrageous or too crazy. Um, they can still be successful with it and uh, it, it, it makes sense for them. So that's where I'm pretty happy with and still, I'm still learning it, still getting into it, but that's where I'm like, I oh, get that return at the end. I'm like, okay, it feels pretty good. I can, I can continue to do this. Gotcha. 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 Um, I got to ask, what was, in your opinion, the number one thing that you guys did to allow your, you guys to scale? quicker yeah um so number one um having the right people on the team i think is the biggest thing um and then also too just having the processes down and people knowing what to do and when to do it um so really your process um your procedure and then um the policy behind that so your process is going to be what you're doing the procedure is going to be how you're doing it and then the policy is going to be like kind of when and who is doing it um that kind of thing so when we are able to bring somebody new in um, we have all that stuff in place. The onboarding is easy. The training's easy. And we make a ton of mistakes through it still, but at least it's easier through all that stuff. So kind of the perfect example with kind of scaling is, so I've hired three people this year. I didn't need to hire any of them. Mm -hmm. um, but I knew before that I was kind of in my head, I'm always looking for talent. I'm always looking for that next person that kind of, I want to finding people that I want to work with and bring them on my team as I'm looking for those people and looking for talent, I'm also always thinking about what other opportunities can we have on our team? What other positions could I hire for, could I hire for if I found the right person or if I, you know, if I found somebody I liked or, you know, that just that I come across that like perfect person for that, for this position or whatever like that. So throughout this year, we, we scaled this year, we built our team this year by three people um, basically because we found the right people. We found the people that we wanted to work with that we fit right into our culture but then also, too, we knew what positions we could hire for if we found those right people. So that, that allowed us to scale this year. So, and, so to make sure I understand, though, did you create the, the position in your mind first or did you run into a great individual first? I created so I created the position in my mind first. OK. And then I found the person I'm like, oh, OK, we could. Yeah, we could bring somebody on here. Got gotcha. to be the perfect okay. person for that role and stuff. So. OK. And then also one of the things that really helped us scale this year is so last last June, I took over for Brett as CEO. So Brett stepped out of the business. Um, he's just, you know, he really just sits, he sits in that owner seat and he's kind of like my one person board of advisors. Maybe it works within the business. We works with our private money lenders and things like that. Maybe it works in the business, you know, four to five hours a month, maybe, um, is what he does. Um, and then I took over CEO and I really worked on the, I worked in the business for a year. I really focused on that. And that's what I want to do. Then all of a sudden, some other opportunities came up for me um, where I can, you know, I can do some coaching, I can do some consulting and things like that, which attracted me. But before I could do that, I had to make sure I had people underneath me that could run the day-to-day -day business that I can pop down here at nine o'clock on a Tuesday and hang out with Eric because I don't have to worry about, oh, who's answering the calls or does this deal get analyzed or is this closing going to happen? Because underneath me, I basically have a director of sales and I have a director of operations. So Randy, director of sales, he handles, the, handles all the offensive side of the business. Um, Anna, my director of operations, handles the defensive side of the business. And basically, I just I work with those two and can kind of relay any messages I need to those two. And then they take it and run with it. Gotcha. Um, you just can't leave basketball alone, right? No, no, no. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a sports guy through and through. So that's, that's how I relate everything. So. Got you. So as a CEO, what are your goals um, for this year? 
yeah, for this year, um, you know, obviously I want to get to, I'm going to try to do, you know, 300 houses again this year. Um, but really within that is become more efficient on those deals. So essentially in the past is, you know, of those 300 deals we did, our average profit was right around like $8,000 here in the, you know, Indianapolis and things. Um, our goal was for that to be over 10,000 this year. That's where we want to come in. Right now we're sitting right at $11,000 on every, you know, on every deal that we do. What did you um, do to, um, what did you tweak to increase that margin? So number one, um, analyzation, just making sure we're being more, um, you know, we're analyzing deals a little bit better um, and hit that. And then I'll be, I'll be completely honest with you, just the market is the is our best friend right now. Um, yeah. It's it's I think it's always tough as a real estate investor right now or just somebody that's in real estate of knowing whether or not you are good right now or is the market good right now. It's both. <laughs> Hopefully it is both. Um, but I'm always saying that to our, our team. That's my number one thing right now is, guys, we have a – so this was our my conversation with Brett last week. He gave me a call. And he's like, "Man, you guys just had you guys had an amazing second quarter. Like it's great. You guys like blew our numbers out of the water. You're like right on track." He's like, "Are you guys just like partying and stuff? Are you guys having a good time? Like celebrating this?" And I'm like, "Brett, all I see are our mistakes. I see all, like I see our flaws. I see our mistakes. Like I'm gonna dig into that." Um, but it's one of those things, and that's why I tell my team is like, "Hey, we need to make sure we're getting good now because this market's gonna correct. It's gonna change. Mm-hmm. That's what it does." And that doesn't mean that we're going to have a fallout next year or anything like that, but it's going to change. Something's going to happen here. Um, a seller's market is always going to become a buyer's market, and then it's going to become a seller's market again. That's going to happen. But if we can get that all that stuff good, we can get, you know, like I coming back to the, our processes and procedures and policies, we get that stuff down. We know exactly what we're going to be doing. When that market does shift, we're still going to be able to do whatever we need to do because we're on we're, we're right on track with what we need to. We know how to do it. We know when to do it. And we can get good. So when the market isn't good, we'll be okay. Got you. So now you you, you chimed into a, a great topic. Everybody says, man, I'm going to wait to buy real estate because the market is going to crash. <laughs> What's your response to that? Yeah, you're going to be waiting a long time. So I, th- I think it's um, the market might crash. You know, it might, you know, when it when it does that, you know, if it happens next week or it happens next year and then it happens next year. But I honestly think with most of the markets that I see right now is, you know, I can I can speak on Indianapolis, but even just speaking across the Midwest, the market might come down a little bit. But I honestly think that most of the values are going to hold true, wow. um, especially in markets like Indianapolis. I think Indianapolis is really what what are one of, some of the reasons that people invest in Indianapolis in general is because it's so affordable. It's so crazy affordable considered compared to a lot of other markets. You can take a you know a property out in California, sell it, and do a ten thirty one exchange, and buy four properties here in Indianapolis of you know where you know where you were in California and stuff. And I'm not saying that Indianapolis is going to catch up to like the California market or anything like that, but it's it's still going to be affordable. And maybe there's like it seems like property values are you know higher than they ever have been, but I think they're just going to hold where they are right now because I feel like we've kind of caught up to where kind of the rest of the nation really sits and where the nation where the rest of the nation lies. But one of the things within that is just that that's one of the reasons that people like the Midwest markets is because they're they are stable. They're not you're going to have a huge appreciation, um, but you're also not going to have a huge depreciation. So um, back really when simple wholesaling got started, it happened back in 2009 and, or 2008 and 2009 when we were in the middle of a crash and you know things were going crazy and stuff like that. But that's one of the best times like you can you can buy real estate and you can be successful in real estate and things like that. But I would just say within that of don't just wait for, oh, I'm not going to buy a rental property because the properties are, are crazy or the prices are crazy right now. I'll wait till next year when like the, the price is still going to be the same next year. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not going to come down or anything like that. Um, you know, we'll fluctuate $10,000, $20,000. Will you maybe not see 
you know, if you put out a listing and you might not get, you know, 20 offers and they're all over asking and stuff like that, you might not see that all the time and stuff. Um, you might not see that next year, but well. I think the price, I think the properties are going to hold. Um, one of the things I am seeing right now, it's kind of crazy is you always see these, you know, you see the, all the posts and everything, all the realtors basically just putting stuff out there like, oh, you know, two days on the market, you know, over asking offer and stuff like that. Like, that's awesome. But does it actually close? Does it actually close? Because what I'm seeing right now is everybody is so, um, so anxious to get a property. They're throwing out these offers, they're throwing out these conditions and all this stuff like that. But then some of them are not getting to the closing table. Some of them are, you know, the inspections falling out, the appraisals falling out or people they can't appraise for what the what the offers are out there somebody might have to bring an extra you know 30 40 grand to the table so um that's what i that's kind of if you are somebody that's out there looking for properties right now or you're waiting for a crash or you're waiting for mm-hmm. you know everything to not be so hot is that's what i would look at on the market right now is like what are the properties that have been on the market and then the contract has fallen out that's really where i think some of the opportunity is for people to kind of capitalize on some of the properties that they might not if they don't want to get into a rat race right away or anything gotcha gotcha no that makes sense i i I agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I gotta, I gotta get a gym. I gotta pull out a gym out of you. You know what I'm saying? I gotta be a little bit intrusive, if I may. Man. Yeah, no problem. Man. And, you, and you've been feeding me and my people well. I appreciate you. <laughs> um, what is your equation when looking at a deal to make sure that it works for simply wholesaling? Yeah. So with that, you know, right now, it's we always want. So I say with the way that the market is right now. Um, you know, if we were looking at last year at this time, your typical buyer, investor buyer wants to buy something around 70%. I do think that's up a little bit. I think it's around like 75, 78, up, even up into 80% right now um, with where you can buy a property um, kind of in the Midwest and still be successful with it. Is So knowing that, realistically, what we want to do is we want to buy properties at right around that 60 to 70% and then be able to sell them to our investors at 70 to 80%. That's what sets us up. We're not a team that's looking to make, you know, 20 grand off of every deal or 30 grand off of every deal. Um, We come across deals like that that we do make some pretty decent money on. But realistically, as long as we can make 10 grand on a deal, that's what we're looking to do. So, you know, if that person, you know, that property is worth $100,000, we want to pick it up somewhere around maybe like $65,000 and then basically sell it for maybe around $75,000. That's our typical deal of what we do each and every day. And that allows the seller to get what they need, um, you know, gets allows us to get what we need, allows the buyer to get what they need, and then any of our private money lenders, you know, or title companies or anybody that we're working with, it makes it easy for them as well. Gotcha, gotcha. If you could leave us with one tip before we get out of here, what tip would you give to somebody starting in real estate today? Yeah, I think the I think the biggest thing is just ed- is educate yourself um, on what you can do. It's always, and you can do that in a couple of different ways. Um, number one, make connections with anybody that you that is doing whatever anybody that's doing whatever you want to be doing. Make connections with them. Um, try to have a conversation with them. Try to try to work with them in any way. Um, do any of that stuff. Just kind of figure out what they're doing and how they do it um, to equate it to you. Um, don't be that guy that you just goes up and like, "Hey, Eric, can you teach me how to do this?" Or don't be that guy. But you know, come up there, Eric. Do you need help with anything? Like, can I like can I shadow you for a day? Can I help you with anything? Is there you know, I'll, I'll work for free. You know, do you need you need some more properties? Can I, you know, go drive for dollars for you? And can you, you can teach me the process if I find you some deals. You know, doing that kind of stuff is working with people that are doing what you want to be doing um, is one way to educate yourself. The other way is just, you know, honestly, just read as much as you can. Um, you can also, you know, watch things and listen to things, you know, whether it's podcasts or YouTube videos. Um, those are great as well. But honestly, I think just digging into books and reading like as much as you can. 
on, on the topics and realizing what the people saying comes back to the same thing. Who is doing what you want to be doing? Well, I'm going to learn from them and educate myself with them. And then also just jumping into it and learning from mistakes as well. Mm. Um, where you're going to make mistakes. Don't wait on that perfect deal. Don't wait on that, like, oh, this the cookie cutter type, you know, situation or anything like that. They might happen throughout the time, but, you know, out of the 300 deals that we're going to do this year, I, the cook, I, how many of them are cookie cutter deals? I'd say maybe like 40, 40 of them, 40 out of the 300 or something. Um, so really just, I think it comes down to, if you are looking to get into it, just educate yourself um, in any way. Um, you know, go to meetups and go to RIAs and, and go to things like that and just network and, and connect with people as, as much as possible. Um, I think one of the biggest things now where people get held up a little bit, especially because a lot of people are doing everything virtually now, um, I would say whatever market you're working in, make sure you go visit that market, drive around that market, understand that market. So I'm not saying anything that you can't do things virtually, but if I want to start, you know, wholesaling up in, you know, Ontario, Canada or something like that, I'm going to go visit that market. I'm going to try to understand that market as, as much as possible before I actually start doing that, do, doing deals there. So I can, you know, I can talk to sellers, I can rate sellers, but also I can, you know, network with buyers and understand who I'm working with and, and things like that. So, so you bring that up. Why do you bring that up? Um, just, I think that, so here, and here's where I'm biased a little bit. I come from like our fallout when people ask us what our conversion rate is of properties we got under contract, we're at like 98%. Ooh. Like we're not going to, like, we're not going to walk away from a contract. That's who we, like we, that's one of the promises that we say, we say, Hey, we're going to buy your house. We, we are going to buy their house unless something absolutely crazy comes out of it. Or like that person just straight up lies to us. And we had a situation where somebody straight up lied to us about a sewer situation, you know, a couple of weeks ago, like you, you lied to us. Here's what you said. Here's the situation. Like we can't buy your house for this price. Like that's, it's not, we, we, you know, we'll, we'll buy, we said we were going to buy it as is, but what you said is not as is. Right, right, right. So that was like, that was a random situation that happened with us. But if we say we're going to buy our house, buy your house, we're going to do it. So our, our conversion rate, like I said, is like 98, 90, you know, 99%, like hundred, you know, right there around there. Um, so that's important to me. That's, that's one of our core values is make sure that we're going to come through. Um, we're going to do the right thing. If we say we're going to buy your house, we're not going to renegotiate. We're not going to do that. So one of the things I see right now, um, and there's nothing really against it, is the people that are getting properties under contract and they're renegotiating, doing things like that. That's okay. Like that's that's one thing. But what I'm what I get frustrated with are the people that I was in a in a on a group call the other day and they were talking about conversion rates and, and stuff because we all know how important that is to our business. And this one guy was just like, oh my conversion rate, like if I get 10 properties under contract, I get excited if I, you know, if I close on one of them. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's just that's just terrible. Like that's I I that that, that makes me cringe because those are people that you are making a promise to. You are entering into a contract with them, and then you are not performing on that. I just, I just, I don't agree with that. You know, we've all seen that situation with a wholesale that maybe is not as integral as a lot of people out there, where that that seller is the day before closing. They got the U-Haul in their driveway. They're all packed up. They're they're ready to go, and then they get call that call from the wholesaler. Oh, like I don't, like I can't, you know, I can't buy your property because of this, this, and this. Like I see that happens and that's, that's terrible and that just doesn't work. So um, I think when it comes down to, if you are doing things virtually is to understand what's going on of, of your conversion rate needs to be as high as possible. And you need to take that into consideration. Your reputation is everything within this business. Um, but I also know coming back to that conversation of, you know, we're good right now and the market is good. Well, what happens when the market is not as good? Like I know we're still going to be around and still doing business. A lot of those people are not. So. Mm. Got you, man. I want to thank you for your time. You just dropped a bunch of jewels for us. Yeah, no problem, man. Thank you. Thanks thank for you, having thank me. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, man, like, uh, like, 
what's what's in the future in the next five years to conclude for for simple hold? So do you, what, what do you see different? I know you're not gonna buy a hold, yeah. but what do you see different <laughs> for your uh, for your company? Um, realistically, for us, is what we want to do is. Um, we, we do want to do our best to become like a national brand, um, not necessarily wholesaling across the nation, but being able to be um, available for wholesaler education, um, doing things the right way. Um, we got some, you know, we got some courses coming out. We got a, you know, dispositions course coming out, uh, you know, and we got some lead management courses and, and things like that. Um, that's what we want to do on the education side. You know, as a teacher, I love that ed- education side. So we do want to do that. Um, but realistically, as far as wholesaling deals and doing deals is we don't want to get into like we don't want to go down to, you know, Lexington, Kentucky or Columbus, Ohio. We, we want to focus on Indiana and just do what we can here. So, you know, we're doing our we're doing our deals here in Indianapolis, but then we're going to start doing some deals in, you know, Terre Haute, Fort Wayne, um, you know, uh, Columbus and, and Bloomington and stuff like that. So really just kind of utilizing doing some different markets here in Indianapolis, some of the secondary and tertiary markets here in Indiana. And kind of focus on that a little bit, but that's that's kind of what we want to be doing. And, cool, uh, yeah. cool. Um, where could the people get a hold of you at? Yeah, so the easiest thing is just you can reach out to me at Brian at simplewholesaling.com or uh, just connect with me on Facebook at uh, um, Brian Snyder. You know, you can get me on there. You can connect with me on IG. I'm not a I'm not a huge. I, I need to be better at Instagram. Um, I'm known <laughs> as the Indie Snyder on there is my is my handle on there. But uh, you can connect with me any any of those ways. It'd be great. Got you, man. Thank you. Thank you again. I want to thank you for listening to another episode of First Generation Wealth Builders. Don't forget to tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend to come check it out, man. This was a great interview, man. Great information. And this is a great place where we can meet dope people and the relationships that they have with real estate, man. I'll see you on the other side.